This is Crowcast, the podcast from Crow in the UK, a leading audit, tax, advisory and risk firm with global reach and local expertise. In our podcast, you will hear from our specialists, offering insights and pragmatic advice to businesses of all sizes, professional practices, non-profit organisations, pension funds and private clients. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in. My name is Andy Hammond, and I head up the Employment Tax Team at Crow UK. Today, I'm joined by Employment Tax Specialist Navin Sharma, who will be talking about the Construction Industry Scheme, or CIS, C-I-S. Navin, can I start by asking what exactly the Construction Industry Scheme is and who may be caught by it? Yes, thanks, Andy. So... CIS is a tax deduction scheme that was set up in 1972 and has taken several forms since then. So basically, it sets out the framework for deducting tax at source from certain payments relating to construction work. The aim is to basically deal with the problem of unpaid income tax payments within the construction sector. And in its simplest terms, a contractor pays for an individual or entity to carry out construction work. Now, the individual entity who has been asked to carry out the work is known as the subcontractor. So, for example, if we had John Jones Limited, a construction company, and Adrian Smith, who's a self-employed builder. So if John Jones Limited is instructing and paying for construction work, they are then the contractor, whilst Adrian Smith is carrying out the work and receiving payment. So he is a subcontractor. Okay, so we've got um, what is in, in effect a chain. So... Um, if we have contractors who make payments to subcontractors in order to carry out the work, sometimes a subcontractor will, of course, pay another subcontractor to perform these duties uh, and will therefore become a contractor and a subcontractor. Uh, so what's the definition of a contractor and a subcontractor, Evan? So firstly, a contractor can take two forms. Um, firstly, you can have a mainstream contractor who's broadly those whose main operations are construction, such as a property developer or a builder. Then secondly, you can have deemed contractors. Now, they're non-construction entities that spend over three million pounds in construction operations in a 12 month period. This is a rolling 12 months. So organisations need to keep an eye on their construction spend on a month by month basis. Now, such companies considered to be deemed contractors could include property investors, manufacturers, banks or supermarkets. Now, a subcontractor, they're broadly an entity that is paid to carry out construction work for a contractor. Now, either the subcontractor will carry out the work themselves or they'll pay another entity to perform the work, which in turn would make them a contractor, as you just mentioned, Andy. Aha. Okay, got it. Uh, Okay, so... It's not just companies in the construction industry that could be caught by CIS. Um, What are the reporting obligations of a contractor, Nevin? So firstly, the contractor will need to assess the engagement to determine the employment status of the workers involved. Now, if the subcontractor is self-employed, the contractor will need to consider the employment status indicators to determine if the individual should be treated as an employee. If they should, their payment should be subject to PAYE by the payroll and CIS doesn't come into the equation. If the subcontractor operates via an intermediary, such as a personal service company, and the end user is a medium or large size contractor, is the contractor's responsibility to determine if the individual operating via an intermediary should be treated as an employee and have payment subject to PAYE. Subcontractors that carry out work for a small size contractor 
will continue to determine their own status for our 35 purposes. So once status has been considered and there's no employment tax risk, the contractor needs to determine if the work completed falls within CIS. They'll also need to demonstrate that they've taken reasonable care in determining whether work performed is within the scope of CIS or not. They'll then need to register as a contractor with HMRC by the Government Gateway account. To do this, contractors will need to register for a PAYE scheme in the same way they would if they were looking to take on employees for the first time. Now, once agreed that payment will be subject to CIS, the contractor will need to firstly verify a subcontractor with HMRC. This will be to determine the rate of tax that they need to deduct on payments. Now, this is done by using HMRC's Government Gateway account. And to do this, they'll need to obtain such details from the subcontractor as the unique tax reference. The contractor will prepare a CIS return monthly, which declares the amounts paid to subcontractors along with any deductions held. A payment deduction statement will then need to be sent to subcontractors where a contractor has made a CIS deduction on a payment. This will include a statement showing contractors' details, the payments they've made, along with any deductions they've also made. Now, deductions will need to be paid over to HMRC, and the deductions count as an advanced payment towards the individual or entity's tax and national insurance liability for the relevant tax year. Thank you. Given that HMRC still leave the majority of CIS compliance uh, burden to the contractor, um, now, in which areas are you frequently seeing errors being made within the industry? Okay, so we often see construction businesses that have a number of companies within a group. And where one company is funding another for construction work, but both are set up as developers, so the payments should be subject to CIS. There aren't any exemptions for intergroup payments where both entities are contractors. So we often see companies not including such recharges on CIS returns. Uh, this is definitely something that HMRC have picked up on, and companies will need to develop internal systems for tracking group recharges in the future. Um, another area we see a number of charitable organisations, such as housing associations that develop land and properties. Uh, sometimes what charities will do is create a subsidiary to arrange and pay for the construction work being carried out. It's important to remember that whilst a charity is exempt from CIS, their subsidiaries, such as a design and build entity, are not. So design and build companies will need to register for CIS as their main operations are construction related. We frequently see companies making payments to a subcontractor before they verify the subcontractor's deduction status with HMRC. This can cause issues where a contractor expects a subcontractor to have gross payment status with no deduction required, but in fact they don't. Now the contractor then needs to find a way to make a deduction from the subcontractor so they can make a payment to HMRC. Issues can arise when there is just one invoice being raised for the services as you can't then make a larger deduction off the next invoice. I've also seen companies realising they need to make a deduction on an invoice, but then hold on to the deduction rather than paying it over to HMRC. Um, another area we've seen issues is uh, we found payment deduction statements not being issued to subcontractors by the 19th of the month. Um, entities will need to remember that they need to send out payment deduction statements whenever a deduction is made on a CIS return. Thanks. Uh, it sounds like being a contractor can be quite administratively burdensome. What would a subcontractor need to do to ensure they stay compliant? So there's less work required for subcontractors to be compliant. 
Whilst registering with HMRC isn't a must, it is advised to reduce the rate of deductions. Now, firstly, subcontractors will need to provide details to a contractor upon request. And this includes providing their unique tax reference and company number if they have one. To avoid receiving CIS deductions at 30%, subcontractors can register with HMRC. Then once they're registered, deductions can be made at 20%. And if gross payment status is granted by HMRC, no CIS deductions would be required on payments to the subcontractor. Now, where a subcontractor doesn't have gross payment status, they can reclaim the tax deductions from HMRC following the receipt of a payment and deduction statement from the contractor. Since March 2021, the domestic VAT reverse charge scheme has applied to most building and construction services that are standard or reduced rated for VAT purposes. Now, the introduction to VAT registered individuals and businesses has changed the requirements for subcontractors in the industry. Uh, contractors now effectively charge themselves VAT on the subcontractor's services and pay the VAT that would have been paid to the subcontractor directly to HMRC in their VAT returns. Now, what that means for a subcontractor is that they need to check the contractor is registered for VAT and determine if the work they are carrying out is within CIS. Um, we're now seeing subcontractors arguing that they don't think that they uh, their work that they're carrying out should be within CIS, but are being asked by the contractor to stop charging VAT on invoices for services being provided. Now, this is because the contractor believes the payment should be within the reverse charge scheme and CIS. Now, given there's likely to be a little bit of confusion as people get used to the new rules, HMRC have said that whilst errors need to be amended, they're adopting a light touch approach for the first six month period in order to help both contractors and subcontractors to familiarise themselves within the changes. So, Navin, if you're a subcontractor, is it key from a cash flow perspective that you obtain gross payment status to avoid deductions on, uh, on payments? Is it easy to get and retain gross payment status? So, subcontractors can apply for gross payment status at the same time they register as a subcontractor or even at a later date. Now, whilst a subcontractor's registration may take a few weeks, the approval of gross payment status is likely to take a couple of months because HMRC needs to check the compliance history of the entity and whether they meet the turnover tests. So HMRC will look at your turnover for the last 12 months or ask you to, to uh, provide proof of your expected turnover for the following 12 months and that's ignoring VAT and the cost of materials, your turnover must be at least £30,000 if you're a sole trader, £30,000 for each partner in a partnership, or at least £100,000 for the whole partnership, and then £30,000 for each director of a company, or at least £100,000 for the whole company. Now, if a company has gross payment status, all income should be still reported on a corporation tax return, just as normal. Now, to demonstrate that an entity can meet the turnover test, they can provide a recent set of accounts and a contract or agreement showing that they have or expect to receive construction turnover in excess of those thresholds I've mentioned. Um, we frequently see partnerships and companies being rejected for gross payment status where their compliance isn't up to date. So before requesting gross payment status, it is absolutely crucial that the company's CIS returns, corporation tax returns and VAT returns are up to date with HMRC. And likewise, for partnerships, they'll also need to ensure that their returns and their partner self-assessment tax returns are also up to date. 
Gross payments hasten is basically awarded for good behavior. So if there are any outstanding late payments due to HMRC, gross payments hasten won't be granted. Simple as that. And whilst HMRC may accept the odd failure, if there's any return or payment outstanding when they review the application, they won't grant gross payment status. Now, once gross payment status is awarded to an entity, HMRC can still withdraw the status if compliance doesn't remain up to date. If this does happen, an entity can still appeal the decision from HMRC, and until the matter is resolved, gross payment status will remain in place. Navin, thanks ever so much for uh, setting it all out. Um, clearly a very uh, complex uh, area to, to consider. Um, it's been going on, obviously, as you say, from 1972. So um, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, compliance work that uh, HMRC will carry out. Um, if you do have any questions, please do get in touch with Navin or myself. Um, we're concluding the podcast now. Um, it's been a very short uh, journey through through the scheme, um, but please do contact us or your usual grow contact. Thank you. Tune in next time for another episode of Crowcasts. For more information about Crow, our services, industries we advise and insights, visit crow.co.uk. We are an independent member of Crow Global, one of the top 10 accounting networks in the world. You can connect with us on social media by following Crow UK on LinkedIn or at Crow UK on Twitter.